Well, thank God that's over, eh? We can actually get back to some proper hockey now. <laughs> Is that where you stand? Do you really hate <laughs> it that much? No, I actually don't hate it, but it just doesn't... I, I don't know. I just have no real feelings for it. For me, the All-Star game was the next morning having a look on Twitter at the highlights because that's the best bit about it. Who was the fastest? Did Conor McDavid do it again? Which he did. Um, and... Yeah, just seeing some of the other kind of cool little bits of stuff. I can't quite imagine staying up like we would do for a regular season game or a playoff game to watch the All-Star game. I would imagine if I was in the right time zone, maybe. But the thing is, there are little moments that I love about All-Star weekend. Mm -hmm. When you hear some of the top players in the league providing you know, as live commentary as it's happening in front of them of one of their biggest competitors going against them in a skills competition and you're getting you're hearing them talk and their real life reaction. Yeah. Like that just never happens. No, it doesn't. So we'll cover a little bit of the All Star Weekend and also we're going to be talking a bit more about the Oilers because on the last podcast we were basically talking about how Peter Shirelli's job is really on the line and turns out it really was on the line because then he got fired and uh, we'll go into a little bit more about that and some interesting comments from their, their I think he's their CEO or president he's the guy in charge anyway Bob Nichols and we'll hear more from him and also as uh, you know we're Toronto Maple Leafs fans we're always uh, one eye towards the playoffs that's what we've been hunting for a long time mm-hmm. and it seems to be that all of a sudden we've really got to know a little bit more about these New York Islanders I don't like where you're going with this Claire it's like you're not confident that we're going to finish in a divisional spot in the in the league I'm not but are you not because you've always got to be pessimist and then you can be surprised and happy whatever happens. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully it won't come to that. But if it does, we're going to deep dive a little bit on the New York Islanders this week and mainly just because deep they're dive. having... Yeah, deep dive. In deep the dive island. Into the island, yes. Like yeah, you've I, written this and planned it. I meant to sound this well rehearsed. Um, yeah, we're going to have a look at the Islanders and what a surprising season they've had. That's all coming up on another episode of NHL Fans From Afar. Oh, and one other thing I want to talk about, Claire, and I'm, I appreciate we might not get an answer to this, but I want to know what has the rest of the world done to make San Jose fans so angry? I know. I could understand them booing their rivals. Yeah. But what the heck were they booing Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang for? And John Tavares. I just couldn't understand it. The guy got an absolute hammering from the fans in the press conference and in the All-Star game. All because, and I put this out to Twitter, which of course, you know, is the gauge for for level-headed reactions. But anyway, I put this out on Twitter and said... What is your problem, San Jose, with John Tavares? What am I missing? Because I assumed I had to be missing something. And the only answer I got back was, well, they felt snubbed because he didn't sign with them as part of the free agent negotiations that he had last summer. And then I was thinking, well, okay, I find that bizarre. And then the next one was people saying, oh, well, he he did the thing that hockey players don't do. He he didn't stick with his team. He's the first one. He's going to make this summer really difficult because loads of other people might follow his kind of the way that he did it. And I just thought, this is bizarre. This guy, 
I can understand Islanders fans feeling like he let them down by leaving them and, and feeling, you know, those those wounds will be raw for a little while. But I cannot understand why San Jose Sharks, who got a meeting with Tavares and then he decided to go with Toronto over them, how somehow they feel like they should throw abuse at him. I just don't get it. I think the problem is, Jolon, yeah. that because you watch the hockey in your bedroom, mm-hmm. then you are shielded from the reality that is being a hockey fan. And to be part of the hockey fan culture is a strange existence. Just the collective of hockey fans do and say weird things. I get that. And I know there's a, there is a hockey culture about sticking with your club. And I know John Tavares kind of went against that by, by not signing with the island and not sticking with them. And I do get that. But what I just can't understand is it almost seems a kind of hypocrisy that San Jose are saying, well, he should have signed with us and we now don't like him because, you know, he didn't sign with us. Well... That just that just sounds like sore loser to me. Like that just sounds really odd. And anyway, you haven't got a leg to stand on because then you bring in Eric Carlson. So like he's another one who I'm sure Ottawa fans are gutted that he left in the way that it went. I just don't get it. I don't understand why the criticism gets thrown at the players in these scenarios and not like the GMs or the people with the power to at least do something about these scenarios. For me, the player, if you let a player go to free agency, the clue is in the name, free agency. He can choose wherever he wants to go. Now, I appreciate you're all just going to be saying, well, yeah, you would say that. You're a Leafs fan and you you got him. I get that. But if you just take that away, I cannot understand. If he'd have signed with the San Jose Sharks, I would have been annoyed because I would be feeling like I'm missing out. But I wouldn't boo him. Dude. Need anyway, to breathe. Got that off my chest. I haven't had anyone to talk about hockey to because you know no one cares because it's All Star Weekend, so everyone's like disappeared. So I just had to, uh, and I had a few little exchanges with Islanders fans over uh, last weekend on Twitter. So I just needed to get that out there in a safe space, as this podcast is, <laughs> without getting without getting abused back, which is what happens. Oh, my chair's just broken. There you go. As, as some Islanders is- god who did that to me there. <laughs> the thing is, like I, I heard someone describe it as a necessary evil and then i was kind of thinking how when you when you think of it as like a showcase it is like the greatest school sports day ever yeah that, yes that, it is isn't it yeah, 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 <laughs> the yeah. most expensive well-sponsored yeah. um best broadcast sports day ever um and I, I just thought that that perfectly sums it up doesn't it because the necessary evil is it is a way that the sport is promoted. You know, it's not hidden behind NHL Network on paid sites. They're putting it out on YouTube so that, you know, people all over the world can kind of tap in and see some of this skill set. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you know what? I watched some of it. I didn't watch all of, all of it. I listened to quite a bit because I've been on the road so much this week. Oh, okay. I've listened to a ton, a ton of hockey podcasts, just inhaled them. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to some of the uh, some of the commentary for the All-Star skill stuff. You know, like little details that fascinated me, like, um, you know, the Gatorade uh, skill thing they do where they it's all put control, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't realise that they uh, were using a heated puck for the first time because having the puck heated up meant that uh, it was easier to put on your stick to lift up through the Gatorade barrier things. Huh. 
I did like, not know that. You don't notice that when you're watching, but when you're listening, you pick up on those small details, don't you? Um, and then uh, I also didn't realise that with these All-Star Weekends, whoever is hosting it, the president of that club has to get involved in all the planning and the organising of that weekend. So the president of San Jose Sharks, can't remember his name, was saying how since they last held the All-Star Weekend in San Jose, it was like 97, all the fans had every single week had constantly asked him, when's it coming back? When's it coming back? So they obviously, it all worked through. Um, but he was saying how um, the marketplace in San Jose, which you don't really, you only ever think about just the team don't you not really the place yeah um that there are seven ice rinks in san jose and in america it is uh the place which has the most adult hockey players Um, wow so there is a real interest in adults playing hockey and just loving hockey it's a hot market a real passionate market and i would never have had that down at all no so, um, yeah, he kind of set a bit of context, really, of why why people are so passionate about it. And uh, obviously, the Stanley Cup goes to the um, to the area that hosts All Star Weekend um, a few days before the weekend, and they do like big to dos in in the town centres with the mayors and all these high up people in in the area. And um, one of the presenters asked him, so are you going to touch the Stanley Cup? Because, hmm. you know, I was like singing the song on oh, last yeah. episode, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah. And he was like, uh, no, I'm not going to touch the cup. Like, basically, superstition. He just wouldn't wouldn't even do it. Even a president of a hockey club said, no, I will never touch that cup until we actually bring it home for ourselves. We were talking about that on last week's podcast, weren't we? And we were saying how um, actually a couple of us had touched the cup, but then we're fans, so we'll never get to lift the cup. But I 100% can understand why um, if you were involved in the NHL, you wouldn't want to do it until you were actually winning it for good. A couple of other things, actually, that I did like that came out of the NHL All-Star Weekend. Firstly, got to give a quick shout-out to, uh, you know, my boy Austin. What a classy little move that was with the <laughs> Patrick Marlowe jersey. Did you see that? I did. I couldn't understand it because I saw it on Instagram. Right. And I was like... Why is Austin wearing that? <laughs> or, or is he just doing, is he taking a picture of Marlowe's ass? <laughs> what was so good about it was, you know, finally it gave the San Jose Sharks fans a chance to stop booing and they uh, cheered Matthews, obviously, who took off his own All-Star jersey and had underneath him a Patrick Marlowe jersey for the All-Star, which was obviously just such a classy classy move and was really well appreciated by the sharks faithful who still hold patrick marlowe really close to their hearts there and i thought that was just a really really nice move he's also plans to uh, sell it off for auction i think he said that he got all of the sharks players to sign it i think um so he's putting that off uh, for charity and one other thing that i really like that came out of it as well was the inclusion of female athletes into the event and um, I was reading the other day about how Kendall Coyne, um, Renata Fast, Rebecca Johnston and Brianna Decker have all been awarded a um, or the NHL would donate $25,000 in each of their names to charities or hockey programs of their choice, 
which is a great thing, but also just brilliant that those girls were involved or those women were involved in the All-Star event and not just there to show up. I mean, they were performing incredibly well. And Who was the chick that did the fastest skate and she was like one second slower than Conor McDavid? Uh, yeah, that was... Um, I'm sure that was name, but... uh, that was Kendall Coyne, I think. It was yeah. either Kendall Coyne or Brian Decker. I can't remember. It was Kendall Coyne. Uh, yeah. Kendall Coyne. And what was really funny about that is somebody put up a stat, which I saw, that if you took Conor McDavid out because he's involved in the All-Star, if you put um, her lap time against the rest of the Edmonton Oilers, there were only two players who were faster than her. Like, she is faster than so many of those players. And I know there was some other awards given out as well and some other money given to those players who, who, you know, quite rightly, were better than the blokes in that event. And I just thought that was really great. And who knows, one day in the future, you could have women involved in the NHL playing on a regular season game. Who knows? Could happen. Maybe. To be honest, it's one of those things that... It slightly irritates me of like, oh, well done. Let's all clap now. It's a bit like Canadian political correctness, um, but it should have happened ages ago. The but that's the thing. I mean, you can't... The NHL has been so good for so many yeah. years. But you've um, got to, you've kind of got to do it. And I know what you mean about the kind of mentioning it. Oh, look at that, women oh, involved. Aren't they good? But, but no. it's, you almost have to do it to promote the fact it happened. The worst mm. thing that could happen about this is that they were involved and then nobody was talking about it. You want that to be what happens in the future. Obviously, you want people, you know, women to be involved in the All-Star event and maybe even the NHL if it gets to that point where that's possible. Then you want that to happen and it not to be a great big fanfare. But to get to that, you've got to have the fanfare. And I think this year, because it was the first time, this was the year when you've just got to talk about it as a real great positive. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Oh, other thanks. things, other... nicest thing you've ever said to me, Claire. <laughs> it was actually me talking seriously about something as well for a change. Yeah, I know, not ranting. Yeah, I know. Or pub, you know, publishing Leafs propaganda, <laughs> which is my job, by the well... way. Talking of that, um, we've got our, this new Slack group, haven't we? And yeah. Which my job is actually just to um, publish Leafs propaganda. But uh, <laughs> tell us what it's actually for. So Slack, if you remember back in the days when we all used to be diehard sports fans, there used to be these kind of forums, didn't there, or MSN chat or stuff like that. Um, These days, uh, people have moved off that. A lot of people are moving off Facebook as well. And this thing, Slack, is kind of closed workspaces where people, either for work reasons or for niche kind of um, conversations, are using it as a place to kind of hub. Um, You have to apply to kind of be part of our workspace um, so people just send your your email address to us and we send you an invite and in this um, slack it is just like a forum really people are posting anybody can post different discussion points things that have kind of caught your eye YouTube clips or talking points that you think that we should be looking into just shouting about your team or if you're Jolon propaganda for the Leafs but also <laughs> some of the things that we talked about in the last week on this slack group I mean I put out favorite Russian um, and, you know, and people were like joking about who their favorite Russian is. And um, Matt, uh, our Dallas fan, um, also kind of posted this really interesting um, graph, which talked about 
um, games lost to injury per, uh, mm. over the different teams. And Philadelphia was top with 257. I think that's just goalies, I think. Probably, <laughs> probably. But it was really interesting to see who on that graph is still cutting it in the playoffs, yeah. um, despite all this kind of up and down. So we, we've had some of that and just some funny pictures as well and um, some debate about All-Star. Um, and yeah, I think that that's kind of... That's that's what we're using it for. But we want to kind of have more people to join. And uh, it means that you very much get to guide the conversation and the debate subjects um, of this podcast as well. And a way to connect with p- other people that are enjoying and as nerdy as you <laughs> and I and, and all these people who are possibly listening to this podcast. So the email address that you need to uh, drop an email to is nhlfansfromafar at gmail.com. And it's all very nice at the moment, and it's all very, uh, you know, oh, you throw something out there and you get some comments and stuff like that. I can't wait to see it heat up around playoff time because there are going to be some matchups on that Slack group, and I think we've got to make sure that, uh, yeah, we get some running commentary of the games and the series as they go on because uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I like it. Well, Later on, we're going to um, get into a bit more about the Edmonton Oilers, um, as maybe our podcast curse was the reason that Peter Shirelli went. <laughs> well, you nobbled uh, uh, Freddie Anderson's career on this podcast. Well, not his career, hopefully. God, <laughs> oh, tempting fate there. His season, I mean to say. Maybe. Um, but yeah, did we do the same for Peter Shirelli as well? And if so, <laughs> who do we want to do next week? <laughs> who are we going to do this week <laughs> hopefully the New York Islanders yeah, or maybe yeah, not yeah. but um, we'll get into a bit more about the Oilers and what next really and interesting discussions around general managers wider aspect plus also we have our new feature which is Man Crush of the Week I've got one Jolon's got one mm. and also we're about to chat with uh, a guy called Rob Rob McGregor who hosts One Puck Short another hockey podcast who's also based Dan Sath in the UK um, and uh, he has a man crush of the week too I wonder who it might be but he is a closet New York Islanders fan I'm, I think it's going to be interesting Jonan as to whether he admits that he's a New York Islander fan well we shall wait and see we'll see whether he mentions it bated breath and don't forget finally to subscribe to this podcast or follow us um, and leave us a review because that means that it helps um, uh, boost our profile to to reach other fans that might be interested in all this kind of chit chat uh, but let's get cracking let's uh, let's get on with the show as they say Jolon is that the cheesiest in line that you could ever imagine I don't know uh, yeah it's probably up there the show um, must go on okay alright here we go play some music So, Rob, welcome to NHL Fans from Afar. Um, we, uh, well, certainly I've followed your own podcast, One Puck Short, for a number of years. You kind of dipped in and dipped out, haven't you? Just for people who don't know, give an insight into your interest in hockey and a little bit about your podcast as well. Uh, well, I uh, I started watching, uh, well, I know, we look back to when I was a kid, just uh, picked up bits and pieces from things like Transworld Sports, when they were on TV and, and were kind of a, a catch-all sort of sports network type thing. There were things like Kabaddi and all that on there as well, uh, NHL video games and things, and obviously Channel 5 picked up the NHL 
uh, towards the end of the, was it 20, the 90s. Uh, and then I started to watch uh, Peterborough, my local team here in the UK. Uh, played for a little while as well, uh, got up to national league level, mostly rec. And um, one puck short was was kind of born of my interest of, of the NHL, really. Just uh, things that I guess I wanted to say and share and, and thoughts and things. And, and, you know, social media maybe isn't quite as big as it is now back then and it just seemed like a good way for me to to jot thoughts down and share with the world and interact with uh, with other fans and, and people and it grew from there eventually i started a podcast uh, i had a couple of year hiatus I was working as one of the media managers for the elite league here in the uk but uh, i left that position in october so resurrected the podcast uh, in october and, and here we are now do you know what, Claire? It's really interesting because all of the guests, pretty much all of the guests we've had on, when we've asked them that question of how did you get into ice hockey, almost without exception, they have all said about how they fell or kind of stumbled across NHL on Channel 5 or on Terrestrial TV. And doesn't it slightly worry you, just thinking kind of, you know, <laughs> on, a, on a wider scale, that ice hockey or NHL ice hockey is not as easy to access. You can't stumble across it in the same way, even with the internet in the way that it is now, making everything more accessible. You can't stumble across it in that same way. And wouldn't it be amazing to think that one day in the future it could return to something like terrestrial TV so that more people can <laughs> just oh, stumble on. across the game like that, oh, no? I mean, you, you, you're opening a can of worms there. But and, I just think uh, it's interesting that pretty much everybody has said that that is how they got into ice hockey, through it, those late-night Channel 5 games. It is, but, you know, we know sports TV, particularly in the UK, is all about money. Mm. And uh, with the amount of sponsorship with TV deals and stuff, with the Premier League and but all that. But we've seen it with the NFL. So they've got games over here that are now available on terrestrial TV as well. The Super Bowl usually is on terrestrial TV. Anyway, it's just a pipe dream of mine. Well, Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't give be great? Rob a chance to answer because as someone who was doing press officering for the Elite League, I imagine <laughs> that he was banging his head against a brick yeah, wall I can imagine, trying yeah. to promote yeah, this sport. Probably preaching to the converted. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah, I, just to, to jump on the point, Claire touched on it there. TV rights is a big thing. If we're sticking with the NHL side, because... You know, the, the Premier Sports Group, they bought the rights to the NHL and, and they probably show more games in a week than yeah. maybe Channel 5 showed in a month or a season. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and obviously with free sports, it kind of is out there on free-to-air TV. I, I completely take what, what you you mean, Joel, all about the ability to stumble across it is, is slightly different now because I mean, the TV landscape has changed so much. That is very true. Since it was yeah. on Channel 5. But, you know, it's it's an investment thing from Premier Sports and the Premier Sports Group, but, but also for the NHL. You know, they're getting more games on TV over here. Hopefully, maybe one day they come back and play in, in the UK again. I mean, I went to the games in London in 2007 or, or one of the games. But obviously, they're their target markets are a little bit different to, to the NFL and, and the NBA even, although the NBA are now looking at, at Paris, obviously. So, mm. you know, the sort of the like-for-like -like comparisons are tough, shall we say. The NHL is, even within North America, although it is popular, in, obviously, in Canada and pockets of the USA, it, it's still trying to gain traction in other parts of America even. So it's, yeah. it's a funny old... Uh, sort of position they're in really trying to even in their own backyard still trying to gain traction in some areas how much do you think liam kirk could play a part in that or his success anyway if he is successful in the nhl and ends up playing at that level how how much do you think that could affect the game over here i think it'll certainly raise further interest we saw even over the summer when he was drafted and leading into to this season there has been 
interest in the kind of curio almost is the, the British hockey player that got drafted. And he's only the third British-born and trained player. You know, and people still talk about Owen Nolan. I mean, he was basically Canadian, but obviously being born in Belfast, he, he was treated as a curio for yeah. for many years. But we, we haven't had a guy in, in the mold of Onze Kopitar, obviously from, from Slovenia. We haven't had that as a hockey nation yet. So I think if that does happen, it, it creates interest. We, we saw ahead of the the London 2012 Olympics, Luol Deng drew a lot of interest on the basketball side. Has that carried on? That's the sticking point. It's, does it just kind of peak and then subside around certain events? Yeah. Now, I'd hope the World Championships this year might gain a little bit more attention for the British national side, including Kirky. I would expect him to be involved in that again. Whether British ice hockey can build on that is obviously a, a difficult point because there's so many sports competing primarily with football because that is the the, the all-consuming sport in this country but rugby cricket and motor racing of, of different varieties formula one down to to sort of rally cars so it's competing with all these different column inches and even with the internet now allowing people like ourselves to produce our own content it's still a very packed marketplace and not always the easiest to stand out but you know, everybody does their best to, to try and do what they can. It's, uh, it's sometimes a case of what column inches and what airtime is out there. So it's going to be interesting to see over the both the next few months with Team GB, but what should you say how Liam Kirk pans out? Because you know he's he's got to do something quick to convince the Coyotes to sign him to a contract because he is a slightly older player in OHL terms. So that that's the next big step for him. Can he do enough to to get a professional contract, even if it means in in the AHL? Yeah, the good news for Liam is he's starting to pick up now after a, a, a kind of a just a, a start to the season where he's trying to adapt to the OHL. He's really got going, and you're seeing so many regular tweets from the Peterborough Pete uh, that he's scoring goals, getting assists, moving up the lines. And he was captain uh, for Team GB of the juniors, wasn't he? Uh, not that long mm. ago. Um, so yeah, potentially a huge storyline. It would be it would be really weird, wouldn't it? Just imagine. You know, five, ten years down the line, or let's say ten years, and and ice hockey is a far more mainstream sport. Would you? I think I'd miss just a little bit how when you walk down the street and you do happen to stumble across another NHL <laughs> fan, as happened to me the other day when I saw a Boston Bruin hat as I was walking down, and I I happen to be wearing my Maple Leaf hat, and even though we are relative rivals because we were on the streets of London at the time, <laughs> there was a kind of a nod of acknowledgement of a kind of, hello there, fellow NHL fan. This is a positive thing. Good day you to you. did the podcast? Uh, no, I, it was kind of <laughs> opposite side of the street. But even that, like there was, a, like there was a nod of acknowledgement of, yes, you are a fellow NHL fan. If it became mainstream, like nobody does that with football well, over here, do they? But you say that, Jolon. But the thing is, ice hockey is still the, is it something like the most watched indoor sport in the UK, is that the right? Played on right, ice, Rob. Something like <laughs> that. Yeah, right? it's up there. I think the Elite League last season had uh, cumulatively a million people watch games last season. Yeah, now, which is incredible. Granted, the, the league expanded to twelve teams. That helped undoubtedly. Yeah, but you know, it's one of those things that that's starting to creep up slowly. You know, granted, it can be cyclical. If teams like Nottingham or Sheffield have good years, yeah, you know, they're they're big attendance drivers. Uh, you know, and and kind of below that what happens with with the second and third tier of the summer may contribute as well because that's a little bit unbalanced right now but the other thing is participation and there's just over 10,000 registered hockey players and that's senior men's women's juniors rec university so when you think of the population of the UK obviously participation wise 
we're pretty small. Ten thousand out think, of sixty-six million is yeah. People listening to this, there may be there may be listeners who have stumbled upon this podcast and are not actually living in the UK. Will be so surprised to hear about that. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Rob, just the, the nature of some of the things you've done, ice hockey press coverage, either with the Elite League or with your podcast, you obviously have the opportunity to interview former NHLers or current NHLers who are coming over to the UK. Um, I'm guessing you've also even spoken to Liam Kirk as well. Um, what are some of the um, surprise interviews that you've had um, over the time that you've covered hockey and, and who have you enjoyed speaking to? It was surprising what sense, sorry, Claire. So have there been people you kind of thought, actually, he's a, a lot more together and um, inspirational than I thought? Because sometimes when you interview hockey players, you never quite know what you're going to get, do you? Um, particularly if they're not quite... Uh, I mean, if you were interviewing a current NHL player now, they are so media trained, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. uh, but with some of the guys um, for the Elite League, you would interview them and kind of think, oh, my God, like we've asked three questions and I want it to end already um, <laughs> because they're not necessarily natural conversationalists, are they? Um, but I mean, there's obviously been some fantastic people who've played in the mm. UK. Um, has there been any highlights of, of people that you've spoken to that you can kind of share with us? Uh, I mean, Todd Kelman's always a, a, a good interview from uh, the Cardiff Devils managing director because you can kind of say with Todd, so Todd, hockey, and he'll talk for 45 minutes. <laughs> and because he's a managing director, because he played over here with Belfast, you know, he, he's been involved with the sport here for a long time. So he's seen both sides of the coin, both the playing side and the management side. And what he brings to the table is based on that experience, but also he does it in an articulate way. Uh, Andrew Lord, the, the Devils coach, is another guy who... who yeah, it was very interesting to speak to. One of the most interesting I found it was Chris Trull, who was with Belfast last year, and he casely came in straight from uh, the NCAA with with Kinnipat College to be, I guess, essentially almost their third goaltender, mm. or maybe maybe second. He was a second import goaltender, um, and it, it was the way he talked about the difference between the NCAA. I mean, playing for Kinnipat, that was a good program in the NCAA. So the, the comparison between the NCAA and the Elite League and how the NCAA was much more north-south, up and down. Guys came down, they got their shot off, he'd stop it, hopefully, and then his defence would recover it, and then they go back the other way, and it was back and forth, back and forth. Whereas in the Elite League, he said he found guys had a little bit more time to you know, pull a deke or a little bit more space to, to just slow down slightly and have a look for a pass. And just that element of time was a different aspect of the game for him to learn as a goaltender, for him to adapt to. So that was quite interesting from you know my background with with goaltending and, and somebody else coming in. We talk about bringing in these college players so often. This is somebody fresh out of NCAA yeah. talking about the differences between the two styles. Um, on a more personal note, I was lucky enough to interview Olaf Kolzig from Goal Magazine a few years ago. Uh, the former Washington Capitals goaltender. He was very interesting. I spoke to him at, at length about different things, the way the game had changed. It was uh, the year the Capitals were involved in the Winter Classic. So just that kind of that side of things. I know he was disappointed that year they didn't have an alumni game was, was one of the things that had kind of bugged him, shall we say. But you know, there's a lot of people you, you speak to. Sometimes you catch them on good nights, sometimes not so much. And, and there have been plenty of interviews like that. But uh, Danny Stewart is one I always enjoy talking to, the Coventry Blaze coach. Uh, ben Bounds, the Cardiff goaltender. Most of the goalies are, are pretty good because if you can get inside the the technical side of it 
that's when they start to open up a bit more because it's very easy to say, you know, the guys in front of me helped. It's a team effort. It is, and that's true, but sometimes you want a bit more from them about how they integrate with the defense or sometimes how playing against other teams can affect what happens on a given night because the other team may be much more aggressive on the forecheck or they might hang back or they might look to do something different in the offensive zone. And, and all these sort of subtle changes can can affect what you get out of guys uh, and also depending on on the subject matter what they've actually got to give because sometimes it can be a very a very straightforward you know we've just got to be more disciplined than our own end and there's not much more you can add to that because mm. you know that that's that's kind of the nail on the head in one sentence and you know that's that's kind of hockey though and as you said claire some some people are so well media trained now that they're they know what to say they know where the line is and they'll hit that line and then await the next question and yeah. <laughs> not always easy from a media point of view obviously you yourself did some work with the storm as well and, and so i'm sure you've encountered that as well but uh, you know there's some good guys in, in the uh, in the elite league with thoughtful players and um you know long may it continue i think also when you um can go and watch these games on a regular basis and you can have conversations like this either when you interview them or just when you kind of meet the players in a fan event um, you start to kind of see the game in, in a very different way and I don't know about you but when I watch NHL games now I'm watching them from a different perspective when I originally started out watching hockey what I don't know, properly about five, six, seven years ago, watching in my bedroom, watching NHL, I didn't kind of really understand the ins and the outs, the intricacies of the game. It's just, you kind of just watch it quite passively. Um, But once you start to understand the... I don't know, the the formats and the codes around it and the intricacies and why certain people play together well and certain lines work and certain lines don't work... I just I just find that there is no there is no kind of end point of how much you can really enjoy being an ice hockey fan. You can take it to the extreme level. I mean, like we joke on this podcast that I call myself the stat man um, <laughs> because I do like looking at some of the analytics behind this stuff. Is that something that you geek out on too uh, to defend me or are you going to jump on Jolan's side and be like, just shut up and just let me <laughs> just protect my puck. star? Hit the yeah. puck, that's all I want. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I'm probably a bit more like you, Claire. I, I look at this stuff and... and... Oh, I'll leave you two to it then. All right, yeah, I'll see I'll you. I'll come it... back in half an hour. <laughs> some of it is, is just trying to understand a little bit more what's going on, why certain teams are, are doing well or doing poorly. I, I mean, I wrote a piece earlier in the season about Peter Morazic, the Carolina Hurricanes goaltender. Now, his his overall save percentage, so all situations was like 0.834 or something ridiculous like that. And everybody's like, oh, you know, what do you expect? He was a bust in Detroit. He was a bust in Philly. You know, he was a gamble this year, blah, blah, blah. And when I actually looked into it a bit, the, he'd basically been caved in on the penalty kill. I think he'd given up some like six uh, six goals on the penalty kill from about ten shots. And then when you actually look at the shots, the Hurricanes didn't really do a great job on the PK. They they left too many gaps, and he was exposed. And obviously that then ends up dragging down the overall save percentage. So it's a bit more nuanced than he's rubbish. It's like, well, yeah, his overall numbers aren't great, but if you look at his 5v5 numbers they're actually around where we'd expect him to be so you know do you want the guy to be as expected ideally he performs above expectation that's the ideal but if you are getting the expected effort from a given player in a given situation 
you've got to be kind of happy with that right mm-hmm. <laughs> so things like that and and it's another example again it's a, a goaltending one but it, but i quite like it there was a, a piece on the athletic about devon dubnik who's struggled this year to be fair especially uh, as the years worn on and they used a couple of examples of what would turn low percentage shots and you know they, they included a video clip and i think one was against the los angeles kings and they said you know this is uh, a goal which should have a three percent chance of going in and then you watch the clip and you can kind of see a lot of traffic in front of devon dubnik and that's extremely harsh to judge that as a three percent shot with all that movement all that traffic and he didn't get you they use the, the the behind goal cam and there's no way he had a clean view of that shot and in today's nhl if you're not getting a clean view the chances of being beaten go up quite rapidly mm. uh, and I mean, we're talking about like a a 15 or 20 percent shot rather than a three percent shot and, and that's a big difference in today's nhl so I mean, things like that they they are geeking out and they are too much for some people uh, you know some people are quite happy just kind of watching the game at, at a I call it a more basic level that's probably unfair but hopefully people know what I mean I'll take but that other people, <laughs> but other people like to dip in a bit more and say well you know why is this this way uh, and sometimes that is as simple as looking at things like I mean, Michael Blake McCurdy uh, does some brilliant stuff on hockey viz of, of threat levels and it's basically a heat map of where teams give up shots from and you can see sometimes it's like oh why are we giving up so many goals you look at the heat map and there's a lot of high danger shots going in yeah does it and, highlight and which wingers are, are not right know, exactly yeah. you know and, and even as i said even if, if it's just a case of the heat map shows a lot of high danger shots that's not ideal <laughs> as, a, uh, as an antidote to this i find it fascinating listening to you to talking about this but i've wow, realized that you? i've I, See? I do but Stats i realize i realize i have got and i i discovered my kind of so far anyway my limit in ice hockey and to the point that actually i was starting to get into these kind of stats and digging a little bit deeper into it and and listening to a lot of kind of and reading a lot of articles about this and i personally and this is just my personal opinion and it's great that you guys enjoy it so much but i personally found it was actually starting to um stop my just enjoyment of the game so much because i was actually going into these games in so much detail afterwards and starting to kind of read these incredible reports like you guys have been talking about and i started to think oh man actually i do you know i just quite enjoy watching ice hockey and there is a part (laughs) of me that likes to kind of just keep that away and so that you don't get too bogged down in all of the other stuff that's going on like i'd find myself this year particularly you know mitch marner would do something incredible and score a goal and then my first thought wouldn't be (laughs) oh my god that's amazing it would be oh my days how are we going to afford him like this is just ridiculous and it's kind of i don't know i think it is a it's a hockey fan thing it's a north american sports thing because of the cap and all of that kind of stuff and it's far more transparent than a lot of sports over here but i did find myself and i had to kind of take a step back a little bit a couple of months ago and just think do you know what ultimately sit there watch the hockey and enjoy it for what Mm. it is in the moment as opposed to always constantly worrying about those you know heat maps it depends though jordan because um and i've been in the situation when i follow manchester storm right Mm. so was doing the podcast um every week for them doing um little bits of intro for the highlights package yeah. and then occasionally sat and did a little bit of color for the commentary albeit not much but these kind of details you need to be up on these details so looking and knowing what your oh, penalty yeah, kill is and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that yeah. that stuff really kind of 
just add so much more to it and you look for those milestones that are coming up um i just i find that interesting i mean like things like right now arizona coyotes are top of the league for penalty kill like who would have thought that just the surprising stuff like that really really jumps out but using that as an example the other day i was watching the the leafs versus the caps and somebody said how you know the leafs power play is something like i don't know sixth or seventh overall in the nhl i'm like well, no, it, it, that doesn't matter because all of that is from the beginning of the season. The last two months of the Leafs power play has been terrible. I don't need a stat to tell me that. In fact, that stat <laughs> is wrong. Like, I know the Leafs power play is terrible because I've been watching it for the last few months. So little <laughs> things like that. And I kind of think, yeah, all right. OK, come on. But no, I, it is, I think it is such a great sport if you are into that kind of stuff. The level of stats that people can get their hands on in the NHL compared to something like soccer over here or anything like that is just next level i'm always amazed by that well talking of stats i mm. think this might potentially be something that's of interest to you rob um <laughs> as as someone who you know <laughs> oh I, I'm, I'm waiting for this come on come on <laughs> you're gonna be so disappointed yeah, take now another sip of coffee uh, you know, putting your goalie helmet on, mm-hmm. Rob, right? That's obviously your passion as well. Um, New York Islanders goalie is top of the player leaderboard in the league as well. And we wanted to bring in a, a bit of discussion about New York Islanders as Leafs fans were suddenly like, oh, maybe we should pay attention <laughs> to these guys. And you did let slip to me that if you had to call a colour and then it possibly you would tie it to New York Islanders. Do you yeah. stand by that? Is that yeah, for is sure. Any, really? <laughs> changed his mind. Okay, no. I, I wasn't quite sure how because sometimes people like to keep it quiet. So I didn't know if I was oh, letting a, a secret out. No, not really. I I have a strange relationship with hockey fandom these days. I used to when I was a kid. I watched a lot of Avs games, um, but obviously as Stephen said on the podcast before, it's not always easy to keep track of that. As I got older, it was more difficult and. I just think with the time zones and and yeah. uh, the team's history as well, dating back to to when they were were formed in the in New York to basically keep the WHA out. The Islanders' history fascinated me. I was seeing more and more of their games uh, just because the time zone was much more friendly. And just kind of at some point, it's like, well, I'm watching. If I'm looking for a game to watch on on NHL TV or whatever, I'm kind of gravitating towards them first. So <laughs> at some point, you have to say, well, actually, kind of. Maybe they are the team I'm rooting for. Um, Why'd you pick one that's never won a Stanley Cup, though? Well, that's not true. They won four. They won them all before I was born. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Claire, we can't exactly talk. I mean, <laughs> I know true. the Leafs have won them, but, I mean, it was 67, the last one. So, I mean, it, we as good as haven't seen that. I mean, like, you know, as in you switched from Avalanches to Islanders and, like, the last, what, 20 years hasn't been great, has it? No, but that's part of what fascinates me. I mm. I love chaos. The underdog. <laughs> yeah, it's just just chaos in in general, and and some teams are fun to watch because they are bad. You know, you look at Ottawa this year. They're as expected, not great, but they scored a few fair few goals. They've mm. also conceded a fair few goals. So their their games have been fun to watch for that reason. So, you know, I kind of have that that penchant for for chaos. The Islanders' history, as I said, is just so fascinating and bizarre from you know they won cups in 80 81 82 and 83 so they literally won their last cup the year i was born (laughs) uh, and then you know things obviously progressed to the oilers in the 80s and you know through the 90s their effort to try and reinvigorate 
the franchise, so to speak, was to redesign the jersey, and it was the the infamous fisherman jersey, mm. which now has <laughs> yeah. kind of like got a, an almost nostalgic keach to it. Yeah, and, and they started selling the jerseys in the shop again. So it's this kind of, as I say, it's the history of the team as well, because you know they were formed by the NHL to keep the WHA out of New York. You know mm. they didn't want a direct competitor from another league taking on the Rangers they you know they wanted to keep it their territory uh, you know New York's such a big city it can support two teams and, and multiple sports so you know that history really fascinated me uh, and as I say just the, the team at the time was fun but chaotic uh, and then obviously over time they've added good players they've lost good players they've you know tried to get good players on board and lost them and sort not of even that forth. though the, the management structure right now i mean bringing in barry trotz was a real investment wasn't it and yeah. lou lamorello i mean the fixer you could you couldn't ask for uh, a better if, if i mean if you were edmonton oilers right now you'd probably uh love both those two wouldn't you i don't know <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. no, there was a lot of there was a lot of things going on with the the islanders in the summer because obviously i think uh, I think a lot of people are surprised, but you know, as we record this podcast now, the New York Islanders are top of the, you know, they're top of the <laughs> metropolitan. Like they are top. They're ahead of Washington, ahead of Columbus, ahead of Pittsburgh. And I don't think anyone pr- would have predicted that. And who knows, they may not be there by the end of the season, but they may well be. And they're playing good hockey. But with the amount of changes that they saw over the summer, it is incredible what Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello have done there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Claire mentioned the investment in, in Trotz and Lamarillo there. That's that's one thing we've kind of started to see uh, from Scott Malkin and John Ledecky, the, the primary owners. You know, they've got a new arena coming in at Belmont Park in a few years' time. They've put their hand in the pocket to get Trotz. I mean, that was the issue in Washington, really. Mm. I think he, he kind it of felt shortchanged. Mm. Yeah. So the Islanders said, well, we will pay because yeah. they've had such a checkered history, really, with, with coaching. And I mean, the last guy you'd hang your hat on who, who was behind the Islanders bench was Pete Laviolette and we're going back a number of years you know mm. and they've had others it really didn't work out with Doug Waite last year as much as they tried to stand by him it really wasn't working out with Garth Snow anymore again as long as they stood by him and, and you know Snow gets a, a, a bit of a beating like the pinata but he did do some good things during his time there he did try but by the end I think he had run out of ideas they needed that change and obviously the investment in Lamarillo is is starting to pay off. It's going to be interesting what does at the deadline and moving into the summer as he's had a, a full year to assess the team. And, and as we said, they're doing way better than expected. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people thought they would be a draft lottery team, yeah. maybe yeah. low bubble at best be, be, with the sort of the trots factor. Uh, and I mean, I thought they'd be low bubble. So they'd be maybe in the race to, towards the end, but probably more likely to be hoping to lose for Hughes by sort of March time. Well, I've only just realised... Um... I've just gone back. Sorry, Gerald, to rub this in, but we did a, an episode in November of the stupid early predictor, yeah. and I've just found that piece of paper again and thought oh, I knew we put New York Islanders in there, but I didn't know where we put we them. We put them wild card, didn't we? We put them a wild card, and I've just realised that we put obviously the first round they would have played Washington. Imagine that! Yeah. I didn't really oh, even yeah. think that through with Barry Trotz, did I? And obviously <laughs> oh, Washington yeah. would go through, is what we've put here. Um, but that would be amazing. <laughs> that actually, it? that would be. Um, I just thought that through, but quite uh, currently that's not going to happen <laughs> right now. No. So, 
No, you guys are the Islanders are flying. One thing we've got to talk about because you know we've we've obviously said that we're Leafs fans, and as a as representing the Islanders, we've got to talk about it. And that was the John Tavares. I don't really want to call it a saga because over the summer it wasn't, <laughs> other than the fact that it was all anyone was talking about. So I guess by that meant it, it kind of was. But I I was asking, I was amazed by the reaction he got in San Jose during the All-Star break. The the fact that, you know, he's on the ice there as an All-Star, as a Maple Leaf, and he's getting booed by San Jose fans because he didn't choose them in the free agency signing, which just baffles me because I kind of think, well, it's free agency, okay? Like, he can choose where he wants to go. He chose Toronto, and it just seems a really odd thing to boo him. However, my caveat to kind of putting that out on Twitter was, I can understand why Islanders fans feel like he let them down and, and you know, went for nothing. And he's one of the first real kind of massive free agents of the last few years to do that and to walk away from the team that he spent his entire career with. And I know that he is, you know, there are a lot of Islanders, Islanders fans who don't like him, but... There are a lot of Islanders fans who really don't like him. And I was <laughs> amazed by the response I got on Twitter from fans saying things like he was just classless, selfish. How many times I saw him called a snake um, and how he he the impression is that he basically gave lip service to the fans to try and play them along to go into free agency knowing farewell that he was going to Toronto anyway and as an almost a kind of like to screw over, screw over the Islanders fans even though of course he's never said any of that and he's always said it was a tough decision between well in the end Toronto and the Island as somebody who leans towards the Islanders what is your feeling right now about John Tavares? It's, uh, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it there, Joel, and I think a lot of people were frustrated that everything John Tavares had indicated or said was that he wanted to re-up with the Islanders. You know, he wanted to sign a new deal and mm. basically be an Islander for most of, if not all, of his career. Yeah. And that's what you want from your franchise player. But obviously when push came to shove, things kind of went on and on. The team just were awful through at least the last third, if not last half of last season. Yeah, you know, I mean that's one of the big things this year is that the the defensive game has been so much better this year. Yeah, you know, they were yeah. they were dead last in goals against uh, in the NHL last season, and you know that was wearing on everybody. Mm. And you know I wonder how much that played into it because they kind of collapsed as they did. I mean they scored a ton of goals, but yeah. still lost games. So I wondered how much that wore on him. And and you know he his last contract was pretty team friendly. It was like a 5.5 or 6.5 million dollar cap hit, which was probably the best value contract in the league for, for the time it was running. Uh, and the Islanders didn't really do a lot with it. They didn't really assemble a very good supporting cast. And and you know they made the playoffs a couple of times, but really struggled to get past you know the first round. And they did it once, and then it's sort of back to the basement. And you know those frustrations have got to wear on a guy. He, he did give them his all. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was, people apparently won't like me saying it, but it was his right to explore those other those other avenues, whether it be San Jose or Toronto, I think maybe Montreal were in there at one point, at least bidding uh, yeah. to, for his services. And, you know, when you've given your all for a team like that, you know, he was, he was a perennial all-star. He was a perennial heart trophy candidate. You know, he was a team Canada uh, member, with good reason you know he was one of the best forwards in the world and he was a franchise center 
and the Islanders just didn't make the best of the situation of having a guy like that around him. Uh, the, the owners didn't want to to explore any trade options at the deadline, so although Garth Snow takes some heat for that, that order came from on high. They wanted to give you know, Tavares as long as possible to, to be around the team, to soak in the the news that there'd be a new arena soon and you know and obviously Lou came in as well and and, and Lamarillo had a chat with him one concern that uh, Arthur Staple from The Athletic mentioned on on my podcast last week was the goaltending hmm. now obviously that's worked out since but at the time nobody knew what that would be like for the Islanders and that was a big concern the defensive game the goaltending for me for so, me oh you're right I I don't yeah. buy the the John Tavares knew he was going to Toronto a no. year ago I just don't buy it and I just I think, think the timing of his tweet with the Maple Leafs bed sheets that was key I think because yeah. it was it's a hard decision but here's a picture of me in Maple Leafs bed sheets <laughs> yeah I guess so and I wonder I wonder okay. if if with hindsight now he would take that back because although yeah. it immediately made every Leafs fan's heart melt and wants it kind of open arms to him into Leafs nation I can understand how that would really kind of you know hit home um to Islanders fans who you know would think that he would see them as these kind of these his team after so many years but for me as you kind of alluded to there the failing surely and the heat must go to the organization because if he is saying to them he's giving them an ultimatum isn't he He's saying i don't want to go i don't want to go i will stay until the end the islanders said well we're not going to trade you till the end tavares must have said to them prove to me why i should stay there even to the point where he was sitting there with lou lamorello who must have laid out their plan but it just must have not weighed up as well as what toronto offered them it wasn't about money because he could have got another extra year with the island he could have got more money in san jose so money wasn't obviously the main factor so i just think i can't understand if this was me if matthews walks in six years time heaven forbid but if he does then Surely, in this same scenario, you've got to look at the organisation as to how did this happen? How did we not give him the tools and the reassurance that he wanted to stay here? Right. And I, I mean, I do wonder if that partially played into Garth Snow's dismissal, that the yeah. ownership saw this boat slowly sailing away from them. And, and they wanted to make that change as quickly as they could to get Lamarillo in. Obviously, Trotz followed shortly after in the hope that that would persuade him to change course or to to relook or look again should i say sorry at the islanders but i mean as you say joel and one, one thing that you know people say oh it's the money oh it's you know he's put selfish interest ahead of loyalty or, or whatever you want to, to say but you know if you were a free agent in june of, of 2018 or july on july 1 2018 and you looked at the islanders mm. or you looked at the maple leafs who's given you the best chance to win? Yeah. And that, on paper, that was the Maple Leafs, absolutely. <laughs> well, exactly, and it's all well and good looking at the Islanders now mm. at the top of the Metropolitan, but no one was predicting that in the no. summer, and no. everyone thought that they were going to go through a bit of a rebuild stage and, I guess, you know, put it simply... Tavares at his age and uh, his point in his career is probably thinking god you know what I don't know if I can go through all that again like I just I, I yeah. want to I want to win now I've probably only got another maybe three or four years of prime John Tavares to give to a team so if I'm going to sign somewhere for eight years or seven years then I guess it's going to be with someone who I'm hoping is going to be in a position to win a cup in the next two or three years which 
as you say, going back to the summer, you would say the Leafs were in a better position than the Islanders were. It's a little bit different now looking at it because the Islanders have done so well, and that's great. But yeah, just I mean... um, I've got to chip in here and just say one of the articles that I read uh, early this week was with Lou Lamorello on the Athletic, like a Q and A with him, and just reflecting on the fact that the team's done this 180. Um, and him saying how he had never worked with Barry Trotz before, but just couldn't speak highly enough of him and, and describe the team as like a unique set of players. Um, it, it's it's quite a, a detailed Q&A, actually, if people want to read more about it. I mean, it goes into all kinds of details, including about trends of uh, different types of, uh, of jackets and waistcoats, which <laughs> seems bizarre. Um, I didn't I didn't know that they hadn't, worked together before and I suppose didn't really know much about each other you just kind of assume that all these people I don't know they're all like whatsapping each other in private groups all <laughs> Lou the time. Lamorello doesn't use whatsapp Claire come on I know you the know guy I mean, probably though. still uses pigeons to send letters yeah but you know what I mean though they've, yeah. they've all been in this business for a long time um, but they've been there and done it, haven't they? And I guess that's what the Islanders were trying to put together in in a reassurance package to John Tavares. It was a kind of, you know, look at these guys. These guys have done it. And Lou Lamorello, the work he did in Toronto to turn that ship around, I mean, that was quite something. And I don't think he quite gets the credit he deserves at the moment. And if Toronto carry on to succeed, then he probably will in due course. But he did a lot for this organisation. And I thought it was very interesting when he brought Matt Martin, who I know, had links to the island before the Leafs but also Leo Komarov as well two guys who were really who were pointed a point out on many occasions as real key good character guys and people who you put into a dressing room and can really help those youngsters who the islanders have got and I think it's just really interesting how you know, they have seemed to be playing that role in the Islanders dressing room. And it seems to a lot of those kind of negative things we've been hearing last year have kind of fallen away a bit. Hey, Yeah, I mean, I just touched on, on Komarov. There was a, a piece on The Athletic a couple of months ago now that they've put his stall next to Matt Basel's. I think they're yeah. roommates on the road. Uh, I mean, Matt Martin is extremely popular in the community in Long Island. Yeah. And, and you know, that checking line with Casey Sezikis and Cal Clutterbuck was, granted, this is maybe not the highest title, the most prestig- prestigious title, but they were probably the best checking line in the league when yeah. they were together. And that's what earned Matt Martin the deal he got as a free agent. So to reunite them is a popular move in a community sense because people like Matt Martin, but also from kind of that depth role sense, you've reunited three guys who, who do their job well. And, you know, there are cap things which you can raise an eyebrow at with the deal Comer I've got, but they were brought in to do a job and to all intensive purposes, they've done it. What about, so we're coming up to trade deadline mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people say that's a real test of um, a GM, isn't it, really? What deals they can do, how creative they can be. Um, what What is the situation with Islanders? And also, how do you think having someone like Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello is a way of attracting UFAs as well to the area? I think uh, that it'll help in free agency more. Certainly now we're, we're, call it 12 months on, and the team has done a heck of a lot better it's a much more appealing situation i think seeing a team which is or has won in the recent past which so again to all intensive purposes can do so again next season uh, the, you know they've got one of the best coaches in the nhl in barry trotz they've got one of the most experienced general managers 
at the helm. They've got owners who are willing to invest. As you mentioned, there's a new arena on the horizon. So from a free agency point of view, hopefully they, they are a more appealing destination mm. than they once were, even in, you know even going back to, to last summer. In the short-term trade deadline, it, it is an interesting one. I know Arthur Staple and, and others have, have kind of looked at options, and the sort of sensible approach seems to be to try and add some complementary pieces. I, I know Staples mentioned Brian Boyle a, a couple of times. He also mentioned Marcus Johansson at, at the New Jersey Devils because the the ask for those players isn't going to be high. It's not going to require the Islanders to give up a lot of draft picks or a lot mm-hmm. of assets. Mm-hmm. Maybe they go for someone like Deshaim but, or, or Mark Stone of Ottawa if they're not going to re-sign with the Senators, that is. But again, the, the, the Senators' ask is going to be high. Uh, you know the Islanders don't have a, a lot of picks. They've got their own first round pick, Calgary's second round pick, and then nothing in the third or fourth round. So, or that's for the 2019 draft. So all these little factors play in. You know what do someone like Columbus do with Artemi Panarin? You mm. know his agent's going to meet with the Blue Jackets management again. Uh, you know so whether that situation has changed because for a long time it looked like he would not resign in Columbus. Maybe that shifted. Now the Blue Jackets have had a decent year. Yeah. The goaltending stuff changed because Leonard and Grice have both had great years. That has changed things significantly because all of a sudden we're not talking about spending millions and millions of dollars to get Sergei Bobrovsky in because maybe you've got two mm-hmm. guys who can do the job and you've got Ilya Sorokin over in the KHL who, who may come to North America next year. So all these things kind of shift the It's a the good place post. to be. Yeah. yeah, and you know they've got some some free agent decisions of their own to make. Jordan Eberle is the highest earning forward right now, or joint highest earning player. He's a a UFA. Brock Nelson's a UFA. He's had a decent year again. Captain Anders Lee's a UFA. I, I think that one gets done. You don't make a guy the captain if you don't plan to keep him. Uh, well, as an RFA. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> oh, I think know, the Leafs. He would be great on the Leafs. Actually, he'd be a great fourth line centre. <laughs> yeah, well, again, he's one who's loved in the dressing room. He's loved yeah. in the community. He scored forty goals last season. He'll score at least thirty this year. You know, goals are expensive, and, and again, he's mm. the captain. So, you know, they've Let's got these, these. Yeah, they've got these decisions to make as well. So, you know, a short time deal or a rental to help them over the line and maybe help them, you know, win a couple of rounds. That, I, well, I was just going to say, yeah, if we kind of, I guess we have to kind of bring New York Islanders topics kind of on, on, on ahead at the moment and move on to some of the stuff with Oilers because uh, we've got to squeeze that in <laughs> somehow. But just kind of give us an idea of where do you think New York Islanders are going to get to this year? I think they'll make the playoffs now. I think they've probably got enough in the bank now. I, I mean, they've got 63 points. Uh, Buffalo just outside the, the wild card spot are on 54, uh, you know, and the Sabres have absolutely collapsed. So mm. uh, I think I would hope the Islanders have enough points in the bag now to to make it over. Whether they stay in the top three of the Metro or fall into a wild card spot, I don't know. Frankly, I don't care because just making the playoffs <laughs> is a good season, I think, considering yeah. where we thought they would be. And then obviously it depends who who they get in round one. I mean, if they they get the second wild card spot and they play Tampa, well, you know, it's the lightning. If you Everybody... could beat them, that would be great. That would really, yeah. really help us out down the <laughs> I mean, road. They're, they're, you know, they're the cup favourites and, yeah. you know, they're on pace for a, a record points hole in the in the cap era and stuff. So, but if you get the second wild card spot and you get maybe Washington or, or maybe Columbus, depending on how it shakes out, that's possibly a winnable, a winnable tie. Good word. So, Just... I mean... It, 
just making the playoffs, I think it, it would be seen as a very, very successful season for this team, though. Just before we uh, we kind of move on to uh, to the Edmonton Oilers, which we'll, we'll touch on. Um, you mentioned Artemi Panarin over at Columbus, and mm-hmm. you know, interesting. We won't go into John Tavares thing again, but using him as an example of one of those, you know, one of the first kind of marquee free agents to go somewhere else. There are so many restricted and unrestricted free agents coming up this summer and you start to list some of the names of the people who need to be signed by teams you mentioned a couple in ottawa uh, mark stone matt duchene panarin in columbus bobrovsky as well uh, rantanen at colorado there are so many i can't even list them all there are so many of them <laughs> and there are a lot of young players coming out of their acls as well and I wonder, I wonder whether history will look back on that John Tavares move as the beginning of players actually more likely to move around and maybe push back a little bit against their clubs. William Nylander is another example of holding out, although to be fair, it hasn't really done him many favours this year in terms of performance, but in terms of the contract he got, it worked for him really if we look at the contract he got. And I just wonder whether this... It's going to be a fascinating time between now and the trade deadline, but then also between the trade deadline and July 1st, when there will be GMs clambering to try and sign their players to avoid that potential of either them holding out and missing training camp, or if they're a UFA, potentially going to free agency and leaving for nothing. Well, the other the other thing to throw in there, which we haven't seen very often, to occasion, not very often, especially this summer, is the offer sheet. Yeah, <laughs> because Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, there's yeah. two big names there. But if you go and look at Winnipeg, they've got some serious decisions to make. Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor are both restricted free agents. Yeah, their depth chart is going to take a bit of a hammering as well. Jacob Truba is an RFA. Tyler Myers is a UFA. I think he probably misses out in all this. But mm. you know they need a backup goalie. And but this is what I mean. I mean that that for yeah. that to avoid that July first is the deadline, isn't it? If I'm right in saying, because if you sign them by July first, they're not eligible for an offer sheet. It's only after that point that teams can start coming in. So surely GMs are going to be so so intent on making sure those UFA sign by July one. Otherwise, yeah, you could have teams just throwing in offer sheets just to bump up the price. Yeah, especially I mean guys like Kyle Connor who who you know he can be a thirty goal scorer in this league pretty comfortably. So yeah. if the Jets don't get him tied up, and again they've got to sort something out with Patrick Line. Yeah, he's so not going to be cheap. Be, yeah, Connor could fly under the radar a little bit here because you could offer him, you know, a mid a mid range deal, should we call it in in dollar term, something that would hurt the Winnipeg Jets, but wouldn't actually probably cost you that much in terms of compensation draft picks. Yeah. So somebody could go out there and get Kyle Connor on a for them, a very reasonable deal that the Jets would struggle to match. They probably would, but it would hurt them elsewhere. So there's all these sort of little intricacies. But again, we don't see many offer sheets because GMs hold grudges. So yeah. <laughs> that's the other factor. And, and it, it does make the summer that much more interesting. Kyle Dubas basically said that, didn't he? He said, well, yeah, we're, we're prepared for it. We've done the maths. We know we can deal with it. But at the same time, if a team's going to do it, they're going to do it. But you know, by him almost acknowledging the fact that he's across it, it almost shows of, you know, GMs know about this stuff. This is not news to them. And I would be amazed if it does happen in the end just because of the way these things work out. But who knows? Mm. Well, 
Austin Matthews is an Arizona boy. Let's stop that now. Let's stop that now. That is not going to happen. I'm not going to waste podcast minutes in going into why that's not going to happen. One day he may well be a coyote. It will not be this summer. So let's power through a couple of the other talking points to reference. Edmonton Oilers, as we said last week, there's big trouble there. Then next thing we know, before the podcast is even published, Peter Shirelli is out that door. We've kind of been all looking out for who might be next in the uh, hot seat, that is Edmonton Oilers. And man, you've got to handle an extremely passionate fan base there. Some of the things that um, the, your man from uh, OEG, Oilers Entertainment Group, what's his name? Bob? Bob Nichols or Bob, Nicholson? Or Bob Nicholson. Nicholson. Yeah. I found that really interesting. I heard he did him, a press conference, didn't he? Yeah, but I also heard him, um, which was also, I thought, a bit more interesting on Hockey Central at noon interviewed there and he was asked what is he looking for surely you are looking for an experienced GM somebody with miles somebody who knows what they're doing and has had experience of uh, an NHL club and he he didn't give anything away but he certainly didn't rule out that they would go young. He didn't say that they were definitely doing it, but he didn't rule it out. And I thought that was very interesting because a lot of the talk from people has been that actually, they of course, they've got to go for experience because they need somebody to sort that out. But maybe there are bigger changes. The other big takeaway was the fact that he said they're playoffs. going for the playoffs this year. What? As well. Why? Why? I, ca- I can't understand it. And yet they're saying... they're right. Oh, they're saying... Oh, well, I get it can because you... of the finances and all that kind of stuff, but they're saying they're going for the playoffs, but they're saying, oh, yeah, but we're not going to trade away any of our assets either. I want to hear Rob's answer. How Why? does that? I'll say is look at the Western Conference. Look well, at the points. Yeah. And the way it's stacked, nobody is running with that. Nobody is going to... Minnesota have got 55 points in the Central. Mm. Then you fall back to Dallas and Colorado on 52. Vancouver just outside, also 52. Anaheim, who have been awful for a long time are still hanging in there 51 yeah. points nobody wants those wild card spots do they <laughs> and edmonton edmonton are three points out yeah and given the way the western conference has been this year you wouldn't rule them out i mean well, heck the way it's gone maybe wouldn't rule chicago out that would be a huge amazing <laughs> yeah job. but also Seven saying points. that they're not going to have a rebuild as well it's not going to be another rebuild for conor mcdavid and that they have got some decent assets so also kind of indicating that for them trade deadline might not be as busy as people were thinking i mean what do they what can they realistically move they've got four guys with with any kind of real value mcdavid is an obvious one dry cycle nugent hopkins cleft bar yeah well they've ruled uh, out they've ruled out moving prospects they're not going to move them right but but the the problem there is that they've moved a lot of picks and other prospects to try and get better and it's failed Mm. so do they give up on jesse pulliavi as well that would be a big gamble it just seems like if you're not going to change the players, you've got the same coach that, you, well, it's a new coach this season, till the end of the year, the yeah. season. Um, it's like, not... what, what's going to change? How are you suddenly going to start culture, winning? Culture, Claire, that's what the buzzword is, the, isn't it? Hockey okay. culture. The problem is, for me, it's not, it's not that they're not changing the players, it's that they don't want to change certain players. So, Poyavi yeah. is a perfect example, Yamamoto as well. The difficulty is some of the guys they've got aren't really that high value. Tobias mm. Reader is an RFA, um, so he would garner some interest, I'm sure, among a, a team either on the bubble or, or possibly a contender as a depth forward. But, you know, they're, they're either looking to just offload things for the sake of losing the to, to sorry, for getting rid of the money off the cap, 
or maybe just to get some some picks back and to try and restock the cupboard a little bit more. And this is partly why Ron Hextley interests me so much because of what he did in Philadelphia. You know, he got money off the cap mm. or, or off the salary. He restocked the farm. Granted, they, they ran out of patience with him in the end, but given where Edmonton are right now, Maybe he's the guy they need. Have I mean, they got just... the patience for that, though? Have they got the patience? Because gonna... the, the I, McDavid to... clock is ticking. Yeah, I think they have to have, though, because there's no quick fix. And there genuinely isn't. They can't, you know, unless they buy out Lucic and take that on the chin, they're not moving him. You know, there's other guys who, who have got at least one more year on their deal, like Cassian and Brodziak, who are, you know, maybe useful to a point. But, yeah, who's taking that on? Somebody might take Brodziak on as a veteran, a veteran depth forward, but Edmonton are probably going to have to sweeten that pot a little bit. Well, I see. I'm intrigued because Jonathan said about the people potentially going younger, um, and the, the best podcast that I listened to this week, obviously our podcasts, both of ours <laughs> and yours included, Rob, are the greatest. <laughs> but um, uh, the uh, Thirty One Thoughts had uh, John Chaika, the Arizona Arizona Coyotes uh, GM, who turns thirty in June. <laughs> Just you know, bear that in mind. He became a GM at twenty six. A proper millennial in the way that he's about openness, collaboration, sharing. Um, he's all about ideas, and anyone at any level can bring ideas. Um, I mean, I don't don't think Jolon for me that someone like that would survive. A young person like that could survive the the environment in Edmonton. I think they'd be eaten alive within weeks. But yeah, although you could argue that Dubas is in a in an even more potentially volatile market. I know he's coming at a much better time because Lou Lamorello is stable there, and maybe they use the Toronto model. Maybe they bring in someone like a Lou Lamorello to settle the ship, get things in order, and then bring someone in like Dubas has done there. I can see that working in uh, the Oilers. I just think they're in such a difficult position because they've got an awful cap situation. They've got a superstar in McDavid who's obviously getting frustrated and the the clock's ticking and they're not going to trade away their assets. So you kind of look at it and you go, well, you're just relying on the players you've got who have been okay at best this year. Mm, okay, anyway. well, but that, that Arizona, one, you're right. That Arizona Coyotes chat is is fascinating, and I would thoroughly recommend if you go into the Thirty One Thoughts uh, yeah. podcast and listen to that, just because it's so interesting hearing it from someone. I couldn't believe he was 26. He's and as old as I am. Player. He's a GM in <laughs> the NHL. Yeah, <laughs> but to think that you're he's not come from a hockey background. Yeah. Um, and that he can still do and He talks about it from an analytical point of view, I thought. And a business point of view as well. I always always dig that. Um, New feature of the week, which we launched last week, is Man Crush of the Week. Mm. Who have you guys got as your Man Crush of the Week? Go on, Rob. I I, I flipped this slightly, uh, and mine's Woman Crush, because it's Kendall Coyne Schofield, uh, (laughs) after uh, her performance in The Fastest Skater. Yes. Uh, Obviously, she was was one of four uh, members of the the women's national team there, along with uh, Rebecca Johnson, Brian Decker, and and Renata Fast. And, and, you know, they've put their skills on display. I mean, Coyne came, was it fourth, in The Fastest Skater? She beat Clayton Keller. You know, she, she would beat the vast majority of the National Hockey League. And, and to be perfectly honest, the, the reaction some people have had to her and, and Decker and co being there has been embarrassing, really, yeah. uh, the way they've reacted to it. But, you know, women's hockey is, is growing. It's such a huge growth area in general for the sport still. Mm. And, you know, it's really great to see her take on the, the, the game's fastest skaters, but also Brian and Decker with the accuracy contest. And, you know, she smashed that as well. And <laughs> just to see this, this on display and say, look, you know, these players are here. They're extremely talented. 
and you know the women's hockey league situation is is kind of in flux i hope it gets worked out because there's so many great athletes in the women's side of the sport and so many great games uh, played so it's worth noticing as well that um, our emergency goalie, Stephen Edwards, actually does a podcast um, for women's hockey, which is worth checking oh, out, MWHLPA. It's very good. Very quickly, my man crush of the week is the all-star MVP, Sidney Crosby, not because of the stuff he did on the ice. The fact he flipped a puck over the glass to somebody wearing an Alex Ovechkin jersey. I love that. <laughs> the guy just oozes class and he will be... We should just enjoy those last years of Sidney Crosby at his prime as much as we can. I still wonder if he can grow a beard, you know. Who cares? <laughs> what that man can do with a puck. Easy. <laughs> um, my mind crush um, is from listening to another podcast, Full 60, Craig Costance. I know that we've talked about his podcast a lot and his book and everything. The most recent episode, and I, I please forgive me if I say this wrong, is it Daniel Carcillo? Is that how yeah, you say his surname? Is, yeah, Carcillo. Yeah. Um, former NHLer, former Blackhawks player, enforcer of the NHL for 10 years, um, is very outspoken at the moment with the players uh, who are campaigning for the concussion lawsuit. And in this episode, it's actually he was invited on by Craig to react and respond to uh, Chris Pronger's um, comments um, about concussion and just is very raw and honest. And he explains about the impact it's had on him personally. He's currently going for all kinds of treatment. He's um, being followed by uh, videographers from the University of Cincinnati and he's been tested for whether he's got the gene to see if he's um, susceptible to Alzheimer's. Um, he lists all his injuries of which you think, wow, what these guys go for. It go through is just unbelievable um, and as a result of him speaking out about his injuries um, and what he believes that the league should be doing um, he has lost six figure salary uh, of appearances and all kinds of things and he doesn't do it to raise awareness um, and uh, you know to kind of get kudos he's doing it because he thinks that the young players entering the league right now need to know what's what's happening that's a hell of a crush, that. Blimey, that's deep. So, yeah, I, I, I thought I'd go serious, knowing that you... My well, guy just you... flipped a puck over the glass. <laughs> 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 Lovely. Well, thank you very much for uh, this week. That was great. Cheers, Rob. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me. Thank oh. you. And um, your next podcast coming out? Uh, this week, Thursday. Brilliant. Lovely. Great Same stuff. day. Thank you very much, Rob. Speak to you soon. Well, I feel like we've covered a little bit of everything there. It was great to catch up with Rob McGregor. I mean, it's always good to hear of other UK fans of ice hockey um, and go check his podcast out because I think we all know, we all listen to a bazillion podcasts as we go through the week. Once you love this sport, you just want to inhale it every way possible, don't you? You do indeed. If you could subscribe to this podcast, that would be great. Leave us a review on iTunes if you wouldn't mind and get involved in our Slack group. More information on our podcast page, you can go there, but email us at NHL fansfromafar at gmail.com if you'd like to be involved with our kind of closed community little discussion group that we're setting up with all things NHL. Next week we are going to be chatting the Pittsburgh Penguins with a fan from afar and uh, yeah, myself and Claire will be back talking Pittsburgh. Have a great week.